You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. And it is almost the end of summertime. Right. And it's our 10th episode. Happy 10th anniversary. Thank you, know? you. I didn't think we'd make it a whole decade of episodes. We thought about doing the flashback episode, but it didn't quite come together. Remember that time when we talked with Shane Cox? Mm. We all grew beards for that episode. <laughs> and got tattoos. But since it's a podcast, you don't really see any of that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, 10 episodes in, we didn't think we'd make it. So thanks for, for sticking with us, all six of you. Yeah, be sure to share the podcast with your friends and uh, keep an eye on us as we continue to post new episodes every couple of weeks. And uh, we're actually looking for a new place to host the podcast and something that'll be a little bit more friendly for interacting with our audience. And free. And also for less us. money. <laughs> but that's that's another subject. Crowdsourcing. Yeah, if anybody wants to support our Kickstarter. We don't have it yet, but <laughs> we'll let you know. If you'd like to support us in getting a Kickstarter account. See, it's this pen that connects to your Wi-Fi. <laughs> but you're right, Matt. It is the end of summer. What does that look like for you? Um, it looks like the end of a little bit of a downtime. Actually, I say that, but every year my summer gets less and less relaxing. For my first few years as a pastor, when I was an associate pastor especially, like your, your ministries go until May or June and then it just kind of stops and you got like volleyball or softball and that's pretty much it. Like we stop Sunday school in the summer, we stop Awana, we stop Bible study, kind of all of the extra things. And so you have all this time where there's, you know, you're not necessarily preparing a whole bunch of things. And then the fall comes, you know, we have our kickoff Sunday in a couple weeks and everything just like, just like getting hit by a, a tidal wave. And so it took me a, a few years to like get into that rhythm. I mean, I imagine for you as a professor, it's similar that you have school it, year and summer. It is similar, although my role at GBC has changed over the years so that my workflow is more even throughout yeah. the summer. But you're right. I I do step back from things a little bit and take some extra time with family and and we have Fridays off um, at GBC during the summers, which is a huge blessing to be able to have that time to, to recoup and, and collect your thoughts and think about what the next year is going to look like. But you're right, there is this really intense ramp up and build up of, of energy and expectation and the demands on your time that uh, is is really exhausting even before you get to actually doing it. Yeah, like I'm just thinking about fall ministries and it's <laughs> it's tiresome, but it's also super rewarding. You know, for me to to see people back and engaging in church and and summer is always weird because people are on vacation and so attendance is always kind of up and down. But to just see people, you know, back and being a part of what's going on in the church is always really encouraging. It reminds me why I do what I do. You see people growing in their, in their faith and bringing their faith into their lives. And it's, it's great. Do you think that's cultural? Do you think that it's the part of the country we live in here in Michigan where people 
go to the lake or they go to their up north, up north. <laughs> wherever up north is. <laughs> or the, the Matt, co- neither Matt and I were born in Michigan, so we still find humor in this stuff. Up north seems to be north of Grand Rapids, yeah. just up there somewhere. Rockford, <laughs> and then you'll say, "Oh, that's really far. That's way up there." Like the UP? No, 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 not that far. Not that far, but sometimes <laughs> yes. Or we want to picture rocks. Like, oh, that's really far up there. Like you are dedicated to getting away oh, if man. you go that far. Anyhow, uh, what I'm wondering is whether that is something that's cultural and you just, as a church, as a leader in this part of the country or wherever you are, there are these seasons of high and low. I imagine in Florida, it's the opposite, where yeah. the winter is really busy when people come down yeah. uh, for from the north. So how do we negotiate those cultural shifts in population and attendance and commitment to ministry? Should we like, fight against that? Like, no, we yeah. will have Sunday school in the summer, yeah. even if there are only five people there. I've, at least I have found, there's a lot of value in embracing seasons, you know, because of, you know, for me as a pastor, but also for volunteer leaders, probably more so volunteer leaders, because they're doing their nine to five job on top of teaching Sunday school or whatever. But I think there's a lot of value in giving them a little bit of that rest, Um, not to make them lazy, but just so, you know they can stay energized and stay focused on on the ministry and and that rest time I think is really helpful. So I've learned to just embrace that. You know, in fact, in the last few years, we've gone from taking two months of Sunday school off to taking three months of Sunday school off. And we have found that that's been really helpful for people. It's helpful for our teachers and it's helpful for just families to, to feel like they have permission to spend time with their families a little bit more, which again, it's hard. Like, how much do we want to say, well, the church should be your family, or how much do we want to allow them to do that? And I think that's just a, a balance you find. But yeah, but I, I guess on even a more personal level, I remember my first few years where the summers were kind of laid back, I would spend a lot of time feeling really guilty that I wasn't like super busy. <laughs> it was like, oh man, I should be more busy than this. I should be working harder than this. I, not that I wasn't working hard, but I didn't have my, you know, all these things going on. And so I would feel really guilty. And then probably like my third year into it, I realized that there's a healthy way to embrace the slowness of the summer, knowing that your fall is gonna be really busy. And it helped me to not get bitter about the amount of work I was doing in the fall because I was kind of like, you know, I'm storing up (laughs) my rest in the summer so that the alternative is that you're bitter all year round. Exactly. Because you're like bitter about the rest. Being lazy and then do. bitter about being too busy. <laughs> Double bitter. So yeah, so that, that was really something for me is to just learn to embrace seasons and work. And I think that's probably something for people who aren't even pastors. They're, you probably have a slow time at work or in life. Um, and to just learn to embrace that. In a few weeks, I'm going to teach a... A, a short series on work and rest so two one week on work and one week on rest and the idea that when we work we connect with part of what it means to be made in the image of God right we were made to continue God's work of creation and cultivation but if we only work and we don't rest we miss out on that key element of being in the image of God because God himself rested and God himself 
asked his people to rest because when we rest, we also engage with what it means to be human and what it means to be in the image of God. And so, you know, just learning. I think sounds to like a good one. Yeah, you yeah. want to come? I want to hear that one. It's a two weeker. It's actually. Uh, I think it's going to be a two-weeker. My whole September sermon schedule got a little bit wonky because uh, we're having a baby, as you know. On the twenty-fifth is what I, yeah. The twenty-fifth is a due date, which is a Sunday. So between myself, my youth pastor Mitch, and my intern Joe, we've divided up September. And I told them today, you should prepare your sermons now, <laughs> so that at any given time, I can just you know say go instant in season right preach the word <laughs> always be prepared yeah so always be prepared when your pastor's wife has a baby uh so it's possible that this two week two-part sermon might be at the beginning of the month and then at the end of the month but we'll we'll see how that goes no that's all really good i think even as a layperson or a volunteer in your church that that sense of the ramp up and expectation is the same and we, could, we would do well to communicate that to our volunteers and to our um, church staffs and uh, leadership teams that um, this is part of the rhythm of church life. Yeah. And the, the simple fact that we get together and do this, first of all, is valuable by itself because people who don't, uh, don't. They don't have a good reason to get together. Right. So the fact right. that we're there on Sundays or whenever... Wednesday nights or whenever your church does its ministry is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because we're responding to that in faith. And so the simple fact that people are showing up should be commended. That just reminded me of uh, this past Sunday, kind of a sidebar here, but Joe, my intern, preached a sermon on the Psalms of praise uh, in this idea that the songs that we sing um, form us into people who worship God. You know, we always say, oh, we can worship God with everything or, you know, our life is worship or, you know, but we, when we talked with Adam even a few weeks ago, there's something really special about the gathering of believers on a Sunday morning or Wednesday or Friday or Saturday or whatever. But more so than just the community, what you do there, you know, when you sing, when you preach, whatever, those form you into being people who worship and people who acknowledge God in all things. And even, you know, even as our summers kind of wind to an end and our churches begin to really focus on gathering together and people come back and, and get into the swing of things, we're just reminded again, just the power of, of meeting and worshiping together for the local church, but also for the individuals. So small transition, as fall ministries ramp up, a lot of churches are also thinking about their missions efforts, yeah. whether that be local missions, short-term missions, global missions, how we support missionaries and conferences or guest speakers. This is a big part of life in the local church. Yeah, we just had a group, uh, a small group of our youth and college students come back from Puerto Rico on a mission trip. And they, hey, we just had a group come back from Nicaragua. I wonder if they crossed in the air. And also Costa Rica. High-fived each other. It's not about whose church is sending out more missionaries. <laughs> or how many missionary trips you're doing. But a couple Sundays ago, uh, Mitch and his team got up and shared with our church what they were doing. And I was just talking with Mitch yesterday, and I told him, like, our church was really encouraged by that. Just hearing that our students care about missions and that they went. And we as a church feel more connected through that. And it was just a really cool experience. Uh, to have them ha have that happen. 
So this week we'll be speaking with Jeremy Clark, who is the executive director of Grace Ministries International. And our friend. And also a killer racquetball player. <laughs> Ex-lawyer. Ex-missionary. He is a renaissance man. <laughs> a da Vinci out of his time. So uh, yeah, we're going to talk to him about missions and about how local churches can support missions, what pastors can do to help their local churches support missions. And how your own congregation can get more involved. Yeah. So we're looking forward to talking with him. Um, you should stick around. This break is going to be really long, but you know, grab a quick sip of water. Feel free to pause. And if any of you are jogging while listening to this, keep going. You can do it. You're almost there. Hopefully that encouraged you. <laughs> but for the rest of you sitting in your sofa eating potato chips, you if, can do it as well. If you're jogging while listening to this podcast, we want to know about it. Please send us an email. Write us a review on iTunes. Yeah. Send us a note on SoundCloud. Especially if we like came up right after your Jock Jams playlist ended and then the Pastoral Calling podcast came on. Talk about jarring. But anyways, we'll be right back with Jeremy Clark. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. We are here with Jeremy Clark, who is the director of Grace Ministries International. Hey guys, how are you? We're good. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Good, Jeremy. Glad you're here. Glad, Glad to you be just here. Stumbled in this room. Yeah, I had a hard time finding in the dark, but uh, you guys were out there with your torches and lanterns to, to guide the way. Like so Gideon. Yeah, something like that. All right, so Jeremy, why don't you tell our listeners what you do, okay. or who you are? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the executive director of Grace Ministries International, and so I, I, I facilitate the operations of the organization, and we're a missionary sending organization, uh, which means that we help to get missionaries onto the field, and we recruit them um, both stateside and also internationally. And then when we get missionaries onto the field, you know, our job then as missionaries is to work with local believers um, to help and train them to do evangelism, church planting, uh, discipleship and training, and just uh, otherwise share God's love. There's a, there's a recruitment. There's just the idea of um, letting people know um, about the needs that we have around the world and how we want to, uh, you know, where we want to go as a mission, um, where uh, we have some holes that can be filled and, and somebody can really grow a ministry in an established field, but also how they can go and help us grow and establish new fields that uh, we're still looking at. And so that's part of it. You want to let people know about the needs, but then, um, you know, helping people, answering questions for people on our website, uh, gracem.org, we have a, a, an FAQ about uh, how to become a missionary and mm -hmm. what the missionary life looks like, but answering those kinds of questions and helping people come to a point where they're uh, ready to make a decision about getting into missions and then you go through the training and the fundraising process so that tends to be the most intensive part of our relationship with the missionary but once they get to the field of course you know then we're always interacting with them and figuring out how we can best facilitate their ministries and help them just to be good at equipping the believers they're working with on their field um, to be able to do the things we want to do church planning evangelism discipleship and and just sharing god's love and you're able to speak to that specifically because you were a missionary, right? I was, yep. Want to tell our audience about that a little bit? Love to. <laughs> so for eight years, our family, we served in Costa Rica. So that was about the end of 2004 to 2012. And uh, we had pri two primary uh, 
ministry um, areas of ministry focus. Uh, one of which was um, I, I helped to uh, was part of a team that we uh, directed after having established a Bible school there to be able to train Costa Ricans to be pastors and lay leaders and even missionaries for that matter. Mm-hmm. The other part uh, that developed um, was an intentional. Um, effort on the part of the church in Costa Rica to reach out into Nicaragua and to be able to establish a ministry there. That's a neighboring... That's the country right... right to the north? Correct. Okay. Yep. To the north of Costa Rica. So, you know, we took several mission trips from Costa Rica and Nicaragua just to kind of do survey work and to figure out, you know, where can we go and do ministry in this country? We have lots of crossover connections, family, and other relationships between Costa Rica and Nicaragua. It's a logical place to investigate. So we took a lot of trips there with Costa Ricans and and uh, right now, our, our uh, two of our missionaries in Nicaragua are Costa Ricans, mm-hmm. and uh, they've been working there since uh, 2014, along with a couple of missionary uh, U.S. missionary couples. And that model's really grown to become part of GMI's strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. You have partner missionaries from these fields, and then they become the missionaries, and they are sent by their own local churches. That seems to be an emphasis that's really increased. Absolutely. If you think about it too, Matt, you know, um, we've been doing evangelical Protestant uh, missions for, you know, three centuries or so. And so after all this time, you have people that we are ministering to on these different fields in different countries around the world who are saying and they're, they're, they're asking the questions they should be asking by now. And that is, look, uh, we see you people from the States and we see you uh, Americans and, and such. You've come here to invest in us. Um, you've you've given your resources, you've given your time, you've taught us, you've educated us. You know, why is it that we can't go too? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got the same Holy Spirit indwelling us, uh, who indwells you. Why can't we go? The reality is, and one of the interesting facts about international missionaries, is that a lot of these guys and, and a lot of these ladies are from first and maybe second generation Christian backgrounds. Meaning that they can recall a time in their life when they weren't a believer they can recall a time in their life when their parents weren't believers, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So they understand what that transformation looks like, you know, not from mm-hmm. watching it from afar, but having it, you yeah. know, experiencing it in their own home. They've seen their life change. Yes. Yeah. And they're motivated to go and share the gospel mm-hmm. in ways that maybe sometimes uh, we're not so prepared to do so. If we've come from a, a multi-generation Christian background, which is wonderful, it's life-saving, right. but yet it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about... Uh, the emphasis on mission and vision at GMI and how that has changed the approach to ministry in the last five years or so? Yeah, one of the things that we want to do at GMI is we want to be able to set goals. And we want to have, uh, we have a vision and that's that we want to share God's grace with the world. But, you know, how you do that is a different question. And I've mentioned a couple times our fourfold ministry focus, which is, uh, you know, evangelism, discipleship, church planting, and, and just sharing God's love. Um, but also, we want to have measurable goals that we can uh, uh, um, see if we're being successful in fulfilling our mission. And, you know, we look at the Apostle Paul. In Rome, Romans 15, he talked about wanting to go to Spain. That was a goal he had because he wanted to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. So that's a goal he had. In all likelihood, he never made it. At the very least, he thought he could have been put to death in Jerusalem, which would have effectively right. you know, ended that, that goal. But yet he set a goal and he went out to go and try to accomplish that goal. And so at GMI, we've also set some goals for ourselves. And and Vision 2023 is what um, currently uh, uh, is our current set of um, strategic uh, plans and goals. Um, And what it essentially uh, means is that by the year 2023, we want to have opened up eight new fields. 
Uh, we've already opened up three new fields. Uh, we want to have recruited 16 U.S.-based missionary families to go out and do the work. If you're going to open fields, you have to have workers. And then we also want to um, recruit, have recruited at least 10 international families or individuals um, to go and, and, and work alongside in these international teams to help us uh, open up these new fields. Do you find that um, an international missionary or a, is more effective or effective in a different way? Every culture has its strong points, and uh, it's fun to sit down and compare cultural weaknesses and strengths. And as long as you recognize that you don't have all the strengths within your culture, or even within your personality, and you recognize that someone else within the body of Christ does, you're going you're gonna to do pretty well. And so, yeah, you're going to find some real definite strengths with our international missionaries. And that is that um, oftentimes they know um, maybe a, a variety of different languages. They also live real close uh, from Nicaragua to Costa Rica. It's a real close uh, drive, so they have the, the support of a local church and, a fa and their family, which is you know real close by. So those are some advantages. Americans they tend to have their own uh, cultural strengths. You know we have a, a real can-do attitude. We're going to accomplish the goal no matter what it takes. Mm -hmm. um, we just have that like Teddy uh, Roosevelt. Exactly, building a canal and. <laughs> A man, a plan. It could have been built in Nicaragua, too. <laughs> and it had been for a, uh, a couple earthquakes there from the center. It as good of a palindrome. Yeah. Anyways. That's right. <laughs> That's why people tune in, is to hear that stuff. So, Okay, so we're, we focus on local church pastors. So let's talk a little bit about the crossover between local churches, especially churches here in America, and foreign missions. In your experience, let's start with you as a missionary. When you came to churches, you know, you traveled around and you told about your ministry, tried to raise support. What are some things that churches did that really, like, you still remember? Like, yeah, that's a great thing. I love it when that happens. Like, can you just give some advice to a pastor? If a missionary is coming to your church, what should you do? You know, I think one of the things that really encourages missionaries when they visit a church is when the people are asking questions of the missionary. And that shows interest. Um, it shows that they are engaged in what the missionary is sharing and about their prospective ministry or the ministry they already have. So maybe a practical way to, to, to go about and make that time more effective is if there's a Q&A time, if there's an, uh, this time where you know, there's maybe people breaking, out, uh, breaking up into groups and sitting at tables to ask missionaries questions, I would encourage the, the members of the congregation to um, already be thinking about questions ahead of time. Mm. And uh, even the pastor could uh, do that or encourage the congregation to do so. Um, but not only is it, it's not just a staged thing to do so, but if you're preparing beforehand questions for a missionary, you're already starting to think about that missionary's ministry. And so your mind is already engaged. And, mm. and so the conversations will become a lot more natural. And you're going to learn some things, too, from the missionary that you never would have if you had never asked the questions. What about, like, um, when missionaries aren't at, your, at a local church, what are some ways that you encourage local churches to stay involved in uh, world missions, even if they don't have, maybe they don't even have a specific mission agency that they work with? Like, what are just some ways that that can happen? I'm going to start at the top of my list. If you really want your church to be engaged in missions, okay, if you want to see your church really develop a passion for missions, the number one way you're going to be able to do that is by sending out missionaries from your church hmm. and encouraging someone to go, encouraging a family to go. Um, you know, we have this strategic plan where we're trying to recruit missionaries and open new fields. What if your church were to make it a goal 
to send out uh, a missionary individual or a family or, or, or someone in the next five years, next two years, mm-hmm. and to make that something that you would like to see your church do. If you're part of a church that sent out missionaries before, you know what it's like then to have someone read that email from that missionary about their struggles or joys or triumphs. And you know that person. You went to Sunday school with them. You had them over for dinner. I mean, your kids grew up together and such. And so when you hear that report from them, your mind and your heart is engaged in their life. And so that will cause your church to be more involved in their ministry and open up your eyes to global missions. It also causes your church to open up their wallets and want to give. You know, you want to invest in someone you know well. And so you're going to you're going to trust where your, your your finances are going when you know that person that you've been sitting in the in the in the pew with for you know all those years. And, and now they're in the mission field. So that's my number one way that someone a church can get more engaged in missions. What's number two? Number two. Um, I got several number two. But um, <laughs> math guy, huh? Yeah, right. We can we can we can multiply by one, can't we? Okay, so uh, in number two, we have like, uh, for example, taking mission trips. You know, you're ah, that's something I do want to talk to you about. Let's hear about it. What's your question? Because sometimes, and I've heard this before, people say, ah, what if we took all of the money that it's going to cost for us to send our high school kids to, you know, Bolivia or whatever. What if we took all of that money and just sent it to Bolivia? It could do so much more work. Sure. What is your response to that? I had a, a team ask the same kind of question when they were down visiting, visiting me in Costa Rica. You know, and they, they probably had raised over the course of a few different years and trips, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 perhaps yeah. to send teams down. But let's put it this way. If you were to not send a team down, you would not have that income anywhere available in missions budget to spend. Sure. No one's just going to give you money. to Right. No yeah. one's going to give you $50,000 right. over the course of four years just to spend on missions. Right. Um, the reason why that money exists is because people have decided they want to go on a mission trip. So it's really um, not a question that's, uh, it's, it's, it's not a legitimate question to ask because you'll never have that scenario. Sure. So, uh, you know, you're going to, uh, if you're having a team go, they're going to raise the funds to go and you're going to generate that, that those, those finances. Now, when you have a team go on the mission field, um, several different things happen. Um, first of all, I always enjoyed having teams come down. It was fun to organize a trip. It was fun to have them down. It was fun to interact with them. So as a missionary, you're Oh, saying, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And, you know, most of our missionaries are in positions in their ministries where they can host a team and have them come down. It's a real encouragement and blessing to them. So you're really blessing the missionaries themselves. And obviously, you're going to want to think about your team. You're going to want to design a trip that's going to be able to, to be best suited for your team's gifts and talents and abilities and such. Um, but the other part of it is, too, is when you send a team down, you're now giving your people in your church kind of a window into what missions looks like. Mm-hmm. And so what, uh, you know, people can start visualizing, okay, this is what the missionary life looks like. I now understand what the missionaries are going through. But also, people start to think about, okay, so what if I were to live here? What would that look like for me, for my family? And so you have all kinds of benefits to having teams go and, and serve uh, in, in different fields. And the reality is, perhaps if you took that $50,000, $40,000, $10,000, dollars whatever it is, and you were to hire a bunch of labor locally to get something done or you know, build something or a building or whatever, you might get it done a lot more efficiently. But um, efficiency not, is not always the name of the game in terms mm-hmm. of getting a project done. But you're looking at the broader scope of missions and how we can really advance the work around the world. I like that. That's great. How do you, when you, when these teams go, how do you prepare them? How do you keep them from being 
the ugly American. And given the mission agency of Black Eye, given the local church of Black Eye, mm-hmm. given their friends of Black Eye, giving each other Black Eye, like with the Taekwondo right? team, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> it kind of happened, yeah. The Ryan Lochte question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, uh, it, it, typically if you're asking all those questions to the team beforehand, okay, what can we do to avoid, you know, being the ugly American? you already are about 90% of the way there mm. because you're already going to be on guard and looking to not make all the mistakes that might look at, make you look bad or make your host you know, missionaries look bad or the host church look bad. So uh, that's, that's most of the battle right there is wanting to be aware of where you are and, and being willing to conform. I mean, we tend to be very independent as Americans. That's what makes us successful, but we also don't like for anyone to tell us what to do. And that can be a good thing, but also can be a detriment. So if a culture tells you to do something and you don't like it, you might just have to conform and to avoid putting yourself in a situation where you're offensive. You got to be ready to be in church for three or four hours. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. Yep. I know for me, I think I may have shared this story before, but one of the major like milestones when I look back on kind of my, my calling or whatever is that I went on a trip to Zambia in 2002 um, with my church from Seattle. And that really, I just kind of put myself in a place where I kind of found myself in a leadership role and thought, man, I really like this. I really like being here. I really like working with people. And that really kind of pushed me in the direction of, of pastoral ministry. So I still look at a short-term mission trip as pretty foundational for me, even though it probably costs a lot of money. One thing I wanted to ask was... Um, how do you encourage local churches to put on a missions conference? That's one of the things that's pretty common, at least in our fellowship of churches. Once a year, maybe twice a year, you'll have the missionaries come in and it'll be a big missions emphasis. How can you do that well? What are mistakes you want to avoid? All that type of thing. Yeah, the first mistake you want to avoid is deciding you're not going to do it because it's... um. Uh, it's it's too much of an effort. Um, maybe you're you might be embarrassed that you're not going to have enough people to show up to your missions conference. And so, if you're a, a smaller church, smaller congregation, and you haven't done this before, you haven't done it in a while, perhaps you know, start small. Invite one or two missionaries to come and be a part of it. And uh, you know, typically, uh, you know, when you start off small, you start off on a smaller scale. Uh, you might do it just over Sunday school and the, the morning service, and might have like a, a you know a lunch afterwards or something like that. And so you start out in that way. Before we started having regular missions conferences, we would have just a once a month or once a quarter have a missionary come mm-hmm. in and speak and take the Sunday school hour. I think there's always an invitation where we want missionaries to come and we want them to speak and there's a real openness to that. But it's more a question of how can we get our whole congregation involved uh, at a greater level. Because there's there's having a missionary come and speak and then the Q&A when they do their presentation. But then there's having the missionary in your home and having a small group over for a meal in your home to hear more personally and get that connection. You know, and when you're plugging missionaries into different groups and such, that's very helpful to the missionary as well. Uh, what a missionary wants to be able to do when uh, the, he or she or the family comes to a church is to be able to engage as many people as possible and to share with them what the Lord is doing in their lives. So, you know, when you think about your church, your local church, when is it that your church gets together and spends those times in fellowship? You know, whether it be uh, some sort of annual event or a semi-annual event or a monthly event, and then, um, you know, build up your, build your conference or invite your missionaries to come 
um, in conjunction with those events because that way it's natural for your church and the missionary will have a, a much better chance to be able to engage with as many people as possible. And you kind of talked about regular things. I know at our church, one of the things we started about two years ago when we really wanted to focus on a missions emphasis is we started a missionary Sunday every month. So the third Sunday of the month, we take 15 minutes out of our service and we'll do an update either on a specific missionary. If a missionary is in town, we'll have them come and just give a short update. Sometimes we'll talk about some projects and that's been helpful um, just to keep world missions in the front of what we do. One more thing you can think about doing and, and, and as you progress and now as you're, um, for example, your church, uh, Jim, you guys are, are, are making people aware of missions on a, you know, with this with this 15 minute uh, missionary focus right. or emphasis in your service. But uh, one of the things, too, that um, that uh, Don Tenhove, he's our director of field operations in our, in our GMI office, uh, he's been burdened with. And that's having churches develop missionary care teams. And um, that is that a church would more or less uh, adopt a missionary family. And um, it could be a family that comes from your church. It could be a family that you just have some ties with. But you just want to adopt this family and take them in and invest in them. And not just in terms of finances, but um, uh, relationally and emotionally and just being able to know what's going on in a more regular, consistent basis with that missionary. So you can be praying for them. So you can be in communication with them. You can take trips to visit uh, them. Um, and uh, so you can be their advocate, even stateside, uh, you know, when they have needs. And um, that's something we want to develop as well. And so Don Tenove at our office um, is a good contact person for a church looking to adopt or take on a missionary family and, and develop a missionary care team. How, so how would somebody get information about that? Again, if you go to the website, uh, gracem.org, there's some contact information there on a website about how to get a hold of us at the office. Um, also, there's a brochure on the website uh, you can find that um, is called Missionary Care Teams, and you can download that brochure and, and you can learn more about how you can uh, uh, develop that, that team within your church. Is that something that even like a small church with not a whole lot of resources Absolutely. would be able to do? Absolutely. Uh, relationships are a big part of it. Um, you know, I know when I traveled around and visited churches and, and there was a certain churches that, that you developed a, a relationship with. And when you went there, you know, you know, you're not thinking about the finances, you're not thinking about the money. And you're, you're thinking about the people that you're going to be able to see you haven't seen in two, three, four years. And you're looking forward to seeing how their family is going and how their kids are growing up and such. And, and, and so if a church, no matter the size, is, is intentionally developing significant, you know, deep relationships insofar as they can with the missionary, that's a real blessing to the missionary to have that kind of relationship with the church. What are some of the most common um, rationalizations or excuses people give to not be more involved in missions or to go themselves? And then how do you answer those? Hmm. Now, of course, being involved in missions um, takes place in a number of different levels. Um, but I think people, okay, this is just my observation. And I don't know this, I, I don't have any kind of scientific evidence to back this up, but I think people are a bit That's of, how we do everything here. That's good. Okay, so we're on the same page then. <laughs> I think people are afraid of missions in, uh, in large part. Um, they don't know how to interact with a missionary. They're, they're different. They're unusual. Why would you do that? Why you, you know, it's like a junior high prom. It's kind of like that, right? Which should be outlawed and banned because <laughs> they're awkward and weird and, and don't lead anything good. But anyway, has to chaperone them. Different topic. So, but I think people are a little bit afraid of missions sometimes and they don't know how to interact with missions. The other thing too is that, um, you know, people get too close to missions, they might catch it. 
<laughs> and so what do sure. I do then? It's contagious. Right. It is. It is contagious. The other thing too is that people, uh, they won't speak this, they won't rationalize this verbally, but um, you know, uh, missions to support a missionary, of course, requires funds. And so I don't know that I want to part with my funds. And so the more I'm around missions and I hear about missions, you know, I, I'm going to be challenged to give. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to deal with the guilt of not, you know, giving. So I'm going to stay away from that if I can. So Yeah, and I think you solve that. Hopefully as pastors, we are communicating the importance of being part of the global body of Christ and being engaged beyond the walls of our church. And that will hopefully create a culture of that. I think that's so important for people is to feel that they're part of something that's right. larger than their own immediate right. context. The local church is good for that, but even a local church can become insulated. You know, um, when you think about being healthy, even as an individual, if yours is so self-focused, um, whether it be on your successes or your failures or whatever it is, you're going to be a very unhealthy person. And so as a church, if you're focused on the external, on the outside uh, world, the rest of the world behind your, your church walls, you're going to tend to be healthier. Um, but I would give a couple of cautions, one of which is you could be a church that gives to missions and supports missions and, 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 and prays about missionaries and such um, almost as a way to, uh, to have done your duty without having to do it locally as well. And so, you know, churches to be you know, completely healthy are going to be investing in the rest of the world. But then looking at that model and, and seeing what missionaries are doing and seeing what they, you know, with their, how they're operating in other countries. But then also wanting as a local church to be operating that way in your local community and uh, to be able to, to, to impact the world both uh, near and, and, and close by. That's, that's the sign of a healthy church, but always to be outward focused. I also encourage uh, small churches, you know, as you think about your own congregation, you think, you think to yourself, I can't lose anybody. You know, I cannot lose someone in the mission field. I mm-hmm. just have a few key leaders and I don't want any of them to go. And, and that's a, that could be a temptation for a, for a pastor that really wants to see his church uh, grow and develop. Um, you know, I think back to uh, the church that Timothy came from in that area of Lystra and Derby and and, uh, you know, that was a church that was formed in the midst of terrible persecution. You know, Paul left for dead outside the city and he comes back in and preaches to the people and, right. and then moves on and such. Paul went back to that same congregation and said, hey, give me Timothy. Right. You know, have him come with me. He's, but this is a guy who's young. He had a great reputation, um, Acts 16 says, among the brothers there. But he left. I mean, who knows? Maybe that church there folded. We don't know. But yet they gave him up and he went with Paul to be a missionary. The temptation is we have a really good thing going to this church. Right. We don't want to lose any part of that pastoral team. Mm. But they did. And they lost two prime players. And uh, it was a good thing for all. Um, but it's tough, I imagine. It was for them, I imagine, to uh, have given up such key, strong leaders in their church. But you do it. And in a way, you as a church are going with them. You know, Your ministry is now extending to wherever Timothy is going, you can't physically go there, but the ministry of your church is going there. Absolutely. But you know, the other thing too is, is that the body of Christ, if we believe it's a body, we believe it's organic, we believe mm-hmm. it's living, we believe it's um, uh, capable of, of growth and it should be growing. And so, you know, when you lose someone in a church, we're not talking about a static system, but it should be organic and capable of, of being able to fill in that gap and to grow and to develop and even to, to produce more leaders and, uh, and more people who are willing to step up and, and work. Like a lizard's tail. Just like that. 
And on that note, Jeremy, one of the things we like to ask is what books would you recommend for our listeners related to church involvement with missions, global missions? What would you recommend? Um, I recommend the Bible, the book of Acts. You know, um, I don't read a whole lot of books about missions, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I, you know, it's not something I've, I've done. I, I, I hear people talk about missions, and I'm glad to get people's perspectives and such, but um, it's not something I do. I read a lot of history, and uh, I do a lot of that in the context of uh, um, what, would, uh, what would the Lord think about this situation or that situation. Um, one of the most intriguing history books that I've read that actually really uh, helped to solidify my, uh, you know, a little bit of my perspective on missions was, um, uh, it's called Shadow Warriors, and Tom Clancy wrote it. And it's about the, it was about the uh, special forces and such. Their job was to go behind, uh, well, sometimes behind enemy lines, but sometimes in, in a, in a, into a nation where they were, they were fighting some serious uh, guerrilla uh, warfare, but they'd go in there to train the nationals about how you know, they, can, they can become a better operational and fighting unit within their indigenous context. And so it was really an intriguing analogy. And I'm thinking to myself, if people who are fighting wars have this figured out, why not then can't the body of Christ replicate this, um, you know, to, to, to an exponential it, yeah. degree? So, Well, it's definitely the first Tom Clancy recommendation we've had. But yeah. certainly not the last. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. But uh. The other thing we ask to end our, our conversations is what is your biggest joy in ministry? And what is the biggest grind, the thing that you do but you don't love doing? For me, one of the greatest joys then in, uh, in doing my job is being able to see someone answer the call to missions. You know, and they're excited about it. They can't wait to do it. Uh, they're accepted by the GMI board. And then they start, you know, raising funds. And, and it comes in a little bit slower than they expect sometimes. They're trying to figure out what to do with their house, you know, what they're going to do with their, uh, their job. When to do all these transition things. And they think to themselves... You know, we're never going to raise all the support we need, but yet we've told these people we're going to go. Hmm. And so they hit that valley, but yet the Lord brings them through. And then to see them get to the field and start being effective servants of the Lord is just a, it's, it's a joy. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's almost like a, a narrative of their, of their life kind of playing out before you. And Absolutely. You get to see the end product. Yep, cool. seeing the faithfulness of the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, the grind, uh, the things that are more difficult, you know, I wouldn't say anything in particular but what I've realized is, is when I'm doing anything in my job where I'm not thinking about the end game, I'm not thinking about goals, I'm not thinking about how are we going to share God's grace with the world. When I'm just thinking about something within its, uh, just, just within the moment and I'm thinking about how to get that job done or check it off of a list, uh, that becomes a grind. Hmm. And that becomes, that's no fun at all. But uh, when I step back and I think about, okay, where are we going as a mission? You know, where are we trying to open up new fields? How are we trying to help our, our missionaries, you know, uh, uh, train others or, or to be able to reach the lost? Then I have a renewed energy in doing whatever task is at hand. That's great. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for coming out today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. All right. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.